Welcome to episode 97 of the Grip Strip Podcast, uh, the birthday show edition of the Grip Strip Podcast, since uh, your uh, host here has turned another year older. Um, I'll say the number in a little bit, but fact of the matter is, had some co-workers buy me uh, stuff from the school store. That was nice. I was, I've been celebrating since Saturday, um, but we'll talk about here shortly. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew, and my co-host and good buddy is Joshua Fine. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Phil, and happy birthday to you. Uh, glad to be able to record and celebrate it with you. So, um, you know, it's always great to celebrate a birthday. And, of course, you know, you're blessed to be able to celebrate today and, you know, hopefully have many more uh, to come. But we, you've got a lot to talk about. And we have, the, uh, of course, the NFL Conference Championships and uh, coming up. And I told you uh, previous episode that the San Francisco 49ers, that they would beat the Green Bay Packers and then uh, the Rams would uh, defeat Tom Brady and the Bucks, and that they would face each other in the NFC Championship game in LA. And I believe that the uh, 49ers will defeat them in LA to win the Super Bowl or to be in the Super Bowl uh, and hopefully win the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. So uh, it's going to be a great uh, event this weekend on Sunday. Yeah, let's manifest, keep manifesting that. I exactly. like the, I like, uh, a, and you have a head coach now, which we'll talk about. Uh, as well, um, a guy very familiar to the um, the Duval uh, nation. They've definitely upgraded in that position compared to some of their recent head coaches. So we'll talk about that. Um, hoping the 49ers will talk about that. It's been a nice, cool week. Uh, still recovering, honestly, from Saturday because I couldn't believe it was just awesome. Um, sending Aaron home again is, is just fun. Uh, but uh, we'll get into that. We're going to get into the Rolex 24. Uh, Formula E opens up their new season this weekend in Saudi. And um, we'll get into a bunch of uh, different series, kind of give you a little quick bites, uh, news bites in the roundup. Uh, talk about Supercross WRC. Get a little bowling in there since, of course, um, it's the anniversary of uh, my first time bowling uh, 27 years ago. And uh, why wouldn't I go? Um, had a good night yesterday for once in the Tuesday league. So going and talk about that. Going to be bowling on Sunday, hopefully, um, weather permitting, since uh, supposedly we're going to get a snowstorm here in Jersey and a Friday night and a Saturday. But I really wasn't planning on doing anything Saturday. Uh, family was coming over um, to celebrate. So this thing is a long, this is basically going to be an eight-day celebration and who knew that you could make uh, a random number birthday like 37 uh into an eight-day celebration but hell i have um so that's pretty cool and it's good to have people family friends and everybody i want to celebrate with you my bowling party is gonna be epic um i'm not really caring about how i bowl on sunday because i'm really worried about what's going to be going on at 6 30 in the evening um and i just want to be functional as long as you know things go a certain way uh, positively for the the red and gold uh but we will see about that so yeah let's talk about this this weekend is the Rolex 24 at Daytona and uh, one of the it's become a a late January uh, tradition it used to be in February a few weeks before um, you know the Daytona 500 and now they have uh, they've moved to the last week of, of January so that's cool 
and it's been there and it kind of has taken up where Super Bowl used to be. And uh, I mean, this year's race is going to be very competitive for sure. Uh, last week, the uh, Brolex 24 qualifying race uh, saw Wayne Taylor Racing uh, defeat the uh, the number 10 defending champions of the race, Wayne Taylor Racing, their Acura defeat um, the, um, I don't know why they're saying number 60, I don't know how they made that error, but um, and then the JDC got, went and beat the number five JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac. So in a last lap battle there, 100 minute race, uh, we'll go through the results briefly. Uh, or one hour, yeah, one hour. So the uh, winners were the, as I said, Taylor and Albuquerque and the Conoco Minolta Acura, the number five of Tristan Vautier and Richard Westbrook, uh, Kamui Kobayashi and Jimmy Johnson finished third. Uh, fourth was the number 60 Meyer Shank Racing uh, Sirius XM Acura with Oliver Jarvis and Tom Blomquist. The 0-1 of Renger Van de Zanda and Sebastian Bourdais for uh, Cadillac Chip Ganassi. The teammates of Earl, Earl Bamba and Alex Lynn uh, finished uh, in sixth. And last was uh, defending series champion Pippo Effing Durrani, former winner of this race. And uh, Tristan Nunez, his new uh, co-driver um, in the 31-wheel and engineering Cadillac. Uh, going through other classes here in, in LMP2, Ben Keating and Mikkel Jensen and PR1 Matheson Motorsports, Orca, uh, finished uh, in one over their teammates, Seth Thomas and Jonathan Bomarito. And then in third was... Uh, Hyru and Rene Rass in a G Drive racing Orca. So the whole entire class is Orcas. Uh, so that kind of, there's no real variety there. At least. There's more variety in the LMP3 category with uh, um, Jared Andretti winning uh, the sprint or the, yeah, the sprint, whatever you want to call the War Before 24 qualifying race over Krantz and Ori in the number six Mueller Motorsports Duquesne. Um, Andretti and Andretti Autosport, they have a Ligier. Fidani, Kuno Whitmer for AWA. Kuno Whitmer, the former Viper driver, um, was a beast in those cars with young Tom Kendall. Um, and a Duquesne finished third. And then we'll go and swap down to GT Pro, GTD Pro, the Lamborghini Huracan of Andrea Calderari and Mirko Bartolotti. Uh, probably butchered that. Uh, one over and Lauer and Piccarello in the WeatherTech Racing Porsche. Matthew Jaminet and Felipe Nazar, now current uh, Porsche factory driver, former driver of the 31 car in the Porsche in the FAF Motorsports Porsche, which is a factory GTD Bro Pro effort for this year. And finished third. A lot of good drivers in there. I uh, see former Xfinity Series champion and current driver of the number two car in the Cup Series, Austin Sindrick, will be driving in the Rolex. He'll also be driving in the uh, Michelin Pilot Challenge, and we'll get into that. Ward and Hour in the Windward Racing Mercedes gets the GTD pole over Miller and Holton and the Crucial Motorsports McLaren. Ryan Hardwick and Jan Halen in the Wright Motorsports Porsche defending uh, champions of the GTD class finished third. Uh, TV's Townsend Bell 
along with Frankie Montecalvo, uh, fourth. There's a deep field there, uh, 22 cars in GTD, 13 in GTD Pro, uh, got seven DPIs, 10 LMP2s, and nine LMP3s uh, going into this weekend's race. So um, we will, uh, I mean, I don't know, Did you, were you able to catch any of the sprint race or stream it at all, Josh, or, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I I saw you the, got to you go. Know, actually, you actually went. Yeah. No, actually, I didn't. I had a change of plans, but that was on. I was intent. I was wanting to go on Saturday, but I mean, it was um, a bit drizzly throughout the day um, in Daytona. I mean, I was checking the weather, and it's like I don't really want to, you know, be outside all day. And yeah. I mean, it wasn't raining too bad, but you know, like kind of like mid fifties and uh, you know, kind of drizzly all day. Not really the greatest conditions, and not yeah didn't really want to stand in the weather like that but on sunday though um didn't catch the uh qualifying race on tv and um yeah it was a pretty interesting race i mean it was pretty close i think and kind of reflective of last year's uh racing i mean uh at the end the results are you know it was a seven second gap from uh ricky taylor to tristan vaultier but i mean it was a uh, leading up to that pretty exciting uh race i mean uh, just for the qualifying part, because going to turn one, I mean, um, you had Ricky Taylor uh, or the 10 car going, you know, they're already in the lead and then they almost got taken out uh, by the 60. And, you know, they had battled for the last half hour, of course, in, in that uh, event and then all came down to turn one and they basically pulled the same type of move that, you know, yeah, Ricky Taylor did in 2017 to win the Rolex um with uh, uh that race and then of course this time the 60 tries the move and then they end up spinning out and you know not winning the qualifying race but still i mean it's a it's pretty entertaining race uh, to watch and of course um you know there's still controversies in some of the lower ca- uh, classes like in gtd of course bmw and corvette with a uh, balance of performance you know they're already getting some uh, weight adjustments i think Corvette had a, a weight adjustment getting 15 additional kilograms to their car and some downforce adjustments as well. Heard some rumors about them possibly sandbagging for this race. Not sure how true that is, but you know, there's always, of course, the uh, you know controversy when it comes to BOP and uh, IMSA and sports car racing in general, though. So overall, I mean, still uh, provides an entertaining aspect for uh, the lead up to the event, of course, uh, this Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, the Corvettes, I'm sure it's going to be rough because they're having to convert their car uh, from the GTE spec to GTD spec. They have split programs uh, going. One car is going to be racing this in, in America, and they're going to run one car in the WEC, but they're Corvette racing. Uh, you can never count them out, especially in a 24-hour race. Um, but you know, that's something that we will find out for sure. I mean, it's competitive. It's a tight field. There's so many great drivers that are going to be racing, uh, this weekend. Uh, it's going to be really cool. Uh, nice to have, um, have this race on and it, it gets you through, you know, for fans who are, you know, like people who are fans of racing in general, like us, um, this is a great race and, uh, it, you get to see a lot of the drivers or from around the world not just the um drivers from north america or um and i think what and i think also this year is like a precursor to what's going to be next year with the new um, convergence of prototypes which will make it like a full factory um it'll be like the late 80s early 90s rolexes where 
there were a lot of factory efforts and great teams and elite drivers. And that's something that we should be glad about. You know, it's something that's good for motorsport uh, to see cars that are going to be racing at Daytona will also get to race in the in the premier class. will also get to race at the 24 hours of Le Mans and Sebring 12 hours. Uh, the the Trinity, and then, I mean, I guess you add Petit Le Mans to that as well. So, yeah, as I said um, earlier, seven DPIs, two Acuras, five Cadillacs, two Cadillacs from uh, Chip Ganassi Racing. They're just strictly now called Cadillac Racing. Um, there's JDC Miller Motorsports as one, uh, and then the um, Action Express team will be running the number 31, and for the wheel and engineering car and the number 48 ally um racing which is the jimmy johnson car and then the Acuras, of course are defending race winners wayne taylor racing konica minolta acura and then the meyer shank racing her baggage and sirius xm automation acura number 60. we're just gonna go and um go through this field here josh um I brought up the list off of um, Andy Blackmore's uh, list there off of Racer. Great to, list. Uh, yeah, it's the best. He does such a great job. And um, he um, got it off. I got it off Racer, uh, Marshall Pruitt there. Um, you know, the zero one one car, well, their full season drivers are Ranger Van de Zanda and Sebastian Bourdais, who's committed to running sports cars for as long as he can. Um, IndyCar, he's basically said is done. While his the two teammates that are going to be in for this race are six-time IndyCar champion Scott Dixon and the defending IndyCar Series champion Alex Pillow. And the zero-two will be Earl Bamba, um, Alex Lynn. Uh, both of them, Alex Lynn's from Formula E. Earl Bamber, of course, has been around driving Porsches for a long time. IndyCar, again, Assy IndyCar driver Marcus Erickson and former. Um, Ganassi DPI driver Kevin Magnuson, who's the lead driver for the Peugeot, um, L, uh, what do you call uh, uh, LMDH or LMH uh, program, the nine by eight or whatever they want to call it. Uh, he's uh, running as the endurance, as an endurance driver for the Ganassi team. The number five car will have the French connection of Tristan Vautier and Loic Duval, but Tristan Vautier and Richard Westbrook are the full season drivers. Duval and Ben Keating, who will be running in two classes, um, he ran in the 52 PR1 Matheson car in LMP2. He'll also be driving this number five car. Uh, defending race winners, as I've said multiple times, Ricky Taylor, Philippe Albuquerque, and the Konica Minolta Acura for Wayne Taylor. Uh, their teammates will be Alexander Rossi and Will Stevens. 31 car will actually be the only uh, team that only has three drivers. Pippo Durrani, Tristan Nunez, the full season drivers, and Mike Conway, the endurance driver, who um, I think he walked away from the Toyota program also. There's been a lot of, there's a lot of changes going on at the Toyota LMH uh, program. Then the 48, which is a Jimmy Johnson car. Uh, Mike Rockenfeller is going to be his full season uh, teammate or whatever. I'm not full season. He'll be his team, the teammate along with Kamui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez. 
which is very solid uh, team for sure. He had a great team last year too, but uh, for Jimmy coming back this year, more experience, more downforce, high downforce um, car experience like he had the, all last year. I think he's gonna. They're gonna be a sleeper. And then the last car is a number sixty Meyer Shank Racing car. Oliver Jar- Jarvis and Tom Bloomquist. The third driver for all the Enduros is Elio Castro Dash Neves, the four-time Indianapolis 500 winner, a former champion of the DPI class. And Simon Pagano, his teammate in IndyCars, the two former Penske drivers, Penske teammates for a long time. Uh, both of them drove for Penske, the Penske DPI program, and now they're driving again in an Acura um, now for Meyer Shank. So, I mean, when it comes to this race, usually, Josh, the Cadillacs have a lot of um, advantages because of their high torque, you know, being able to get through the, the whatever, the hair, what do you call um international horseshoe some of the tight corners they have, they get through the, um, when the old chicane was there, I think it was a little more of an advantage, but uh, the turbo car, uh, the Acuras, and last year with the Mazdas, they seem to be a little more nimble. They'll be able to go and get through some of the, the, even the twistier sections, the tighter sections, a little better. It seemed, and that's the thing, I guess that's what BOP is supposed to do, where you take two different forms of engines two different chassis and basically make it so that you can have a very competitive race and this is going to be a wide open battle um only seven cars but it's very quality over quantity in the uh, dpi category for sure yeah for sure especially um a lot of uh great drivers uh in this class um most of the you know famous drivers of course and um you know z the zero one of course scott dixon and alex below um and interesting branding here because i mean this is basically chip ganassi racing uh but i guess yeah they've rebranded to cadillac uh for, uh, for this effort but yeah scott dixon alex below of course reigning indycar champion kevin magnuson formula one um you know uh, we got ricky taylor uh alexander rossi um, and then Jimmy Johnson, of course, Miko Biashi, the Formula One driver, Simon Pagano, Elio Castro Dash Neves, yeah, and you know, all those guys, uh, great drivers. But uh, the cars themselves, like you said, um, Cadillac, you know, high power. So I mean, it's good down the straights. Uh, but I think for the Acuras, especially going through. Uh, the you know, inner loop going through the international horseshoe, um, even through the chicane. I mean, I would argue that the Acuras, um, you know, you said they're more nimble, I, that those sections of the track uh, favor them uh, better than the Cadillacs. And yeah, that provides um, great competition. And I guess, yeah, that's why we need a balance of performance uh, for uh, all these teams. Of course, uh, it does lead yeah to very competitive racing. And as we saw last year, uh, several of the cars in this class, um, any of them could have won, like we saw last year with the 01, the 10, uh, the 48, the, the 60 uh, last year, um, and I expect kind of the same uh, performance this year. I mean, already the 10 cars come out of the gate, and uh, with Wayne Taylor racing, they've come out of the gate and um, won the, the pole for this race. So expect them to be one of the competitors um, and you know, expect the zero one as well to be a, a good competitor and the 60. So all basically the same players from last year should return. Of course, um, you know, we have to can't forget to mention the 55 from last year, the Mazda, which is not in this uh, race this year. But had they been in this race, of course, they would have been uh, competitive as well, I feel like. But yeah, it's a great diverse class of drivers and then, you know, um, still in the other classes as well. 
um, as you get lower with uh, even with LMP2, um, a lot of you know a lot of the drivers there are very uh, competitive as well. And I mean, this is a definitely going to be a very deep field uh, in yeah. that class as well. Yeah, there's uh, basically an Andretti Autosport uh, sort of car there. We'll get into that. I mean, in the LMP2 category, listed how many cars? Uh, I think it's 13. I said so. Yeah. Nine, ten. I see ten there. Okay, there are ten. Um, thought there was more. Um, maybe I'm mis misquoting for LMP three. In the um, Tower Motorsport, they they were in the series all year last year. Uh, John Ferrano, Ferdinand Habsburg will be the full season drivers. Uh, Louis Delatraz and Rui Andrade, Andrade or Andrade, whatever. Sorry if I screwed up your name. If you're really listening to my show, then God bless you. Um, it would be or our show. It would be uh, interesting. Um, in regards to PR1, Matheson mentioned them. They got one to finish the eleven car: Stephen Thomas and Jonathan Barmerito of uh, the Mazda program that uh, Josh mentioned. Of course, they uh, basically Mazda decided uh, to commit to uh, the grassroots level, the MX5 Cup, the other whatever other cars that they have the you know, to run in different sports uh, more, uh, I guess, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, purpose or not, not just purpose built or like, or not. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the word there. I think the Mazda is not commit, at least for now, they're not going to be in LMP, um, which is interesting. Built. Yeah. They're going to be more in like one makes or series like SECA type um racing which makes a lot of sense because of how successful they are there um and mazda was able to leave on a high note um harry tinknell and jonathan bomarito have been teammates uh at the mazda program they'll be teammates again in that number 11 car ryan d allen dwight merriman the aero motorsport 18 car and uh, they'll have kyle tilly there as a third driver you have nico muller the uh, dtm driver in uh, the high class racing number 20 they're coming they're a team that runs in the wec another wec car with uh, american ties is united autosports uh, that's zach brown's team with richard dean you have the two brits and guy smith and phil hansen will owen and james mcguire the americans so that's a competitive car the racing team Netherland Jumbo uh, car will have Fritz Van Erd, Guido Vandergaard, who's a interesting and funny uh, Twitter follow. Uh, IndyCar last year winner in the IndyCar series, Renus VK and uh, Dylan Murray will be in the car with them. In the 52 wins car, which is Ben Keating, that's the other car that he'll be driving. Mikkel Jensen, Nicolas Lapierre, and Scott Huffaker. Um, really good driver combination there. Rene Rast uh, and Ed Jones in the G-Drive Racing 68. Uh, I don't know that guy, Oliver Rasmussen. I think is familiar to me, but I don't I'll know off the top. Uh, John Falb, uh, Luca Giotto, who's been in the Formula One uh, driver development through, I think, uh, form, what is it, Formula Two or, G yeah, Formula Two and... Formula Three, and then the last car, the Dragon Speed car, which is Elton Julian. Um, they ran in the IndyCar Series limited races. Um, they're going to have 
Devlin, D. Francesco, Pato Award, Colton Herta, and their full season, their driver that will be at every race if they're going to, I think they're going to run all years. Eric Lux, Herta, and D. Francesco are teammates at Andretti Autosport. Pato Award, of course, the lead driver at McLaren IndyCar program there. So, and you got two guys that want to go to Formula One. Um, that class is going to come down to, you know, the last few minutes probably uh, but you have solid teams you have teams from that are IMSA teams specifically you have teams from the WEC wanting to get an early start on the year before they get to Sebring here in March um, those are I mean that class over the years has improved so much not only with the reliability but the quality of drivers and quality of the the, the teams so I think that one will be an interesting battle may not get the most attention I think the 81 is probably going to get a lot of you know coverage from NBC but I would venture to say the PR1 Matheson battle versus, you know, Era Motorsport, which was the battle last year, will be the thing to watch along with some of these WEC teams and how they handle running Daytona. Um, LMP3, you have Joel Miller and Ayrton Ori, uh, Moritz Krantz in the number six H&R Springs car, Mjolnir Motorsport, Mark Vami and the number seven, 40, the 47 motor sports, number seven, Kuno Whitmer, as I mentioned, uh, Matt Bell and the number 13 AWA LMP three, number 26, Mjolnir Motorsport America, the teammate car, never heard of any of those people. And number 33, uh, Joe Barbosa, the ageless Joe Barbosa and Seb Prio, um, Andy Prio's son. Uh, they'll be in that car, Sean Creek Motorsports Liger. The number 36 Liger will have Jared Andretti and Gabby Chavez, a former IndyCar driver, Rasmus Lind, who's had uh, experience in IMSA. And then uh, the number 38 Performance Tech team, they're running uh, in a new combination of drivers there. Um, Dan Goldberg and Garrett Grist, I think the most familiar. The 54 is the... One that most people, 54 in the defending uh, series champion, 74, the ones that most people will be familiar with. 54 is a core autosport crew. That's John Bennett and Colin Brown, uh, former NASCAR driver Colin Brown. Uh, him and John Bennett have won championships and won in a lot of won a lot of races. George Kurtz, Nick Janssen, former um, driver for the team as well, um, coming back. He's been around forever. The number 74, Riley Motorsports, uh, Liger is uh, Gar Robinson. And you have Felipe Fraga and then Michael Cooper, K. Van Burlow, whoever he is. So, yeah, the LMP2 and LMP3 may not have as much flash in regards to big names, but the classes are very competitive. The LMP3 situation, I think it's an invitational kind of thing. You don't have to show up if, for the full for the dry, teams that are trying to run the full season. So it's a good test session for those teams. They already had a race last week at the um, Roar. So that's something to see with them. Now, uh, we'll get into the GTD Pro class here, Josh. Um, I'm going to zoom out here for a second. Um, the GTD Pro class is what, six and then another 10. Yeah, 13 cars. You have Porsche. You have 
Lambo, you have Mercedes, BMW, Aston Martin, Lexus, and Corvette. And uh, so that'll be something. Uh, the Corvettes, of course, this is the only time this year that both uh, Corvette, there will be two Corvettes in the field, I think. That's what I, I believe was out there. Um, they're going to be, um, um, there'll be one in the U.S. and one will be in the um, WEC. Uh, the KCMG Porsche uh, will have Lawrence Vantor, Patrick Pillay, Dennis Olson, Alexander Imperatori, uh, which is a solid uh, driver lineup. A lot of these teams are running three. Some of these teams are running three. Some of these teams are running four. So it, I, it's interesting where I guess how those decisions are being made and why they're going with three or four. Um, Corvette number three, Antonio Garcia and Jordan Taylor, full season drivers, and Nikki Katzberg is a third. In the number four, Tommy Milner, Nick Tandy, new hire, Nick Tandy, with Marco Sorensen, the third driver. FAF Motorsports moving to the GTD Pro category as a factory effort. Uh, we'll have Matt Campbell and Felipe Nazar with Matthew Jaminet as the third driver. Uh, Jack Hawksworth and Kyle Kirkwood, along, or Kyle and Ben Barnacote with um, IndyCar rookie Kyle Kirkwood, who's going to be driving the 14 car. It is a 14 car in this race. Uh, for Vassar Sullivan, but he'll be driving the AJ Foyt 14 car uh, this year, uh, the the um, Rocket number 14. Interesting combination, uh, WeatherTech uh, uh, racing here with the, uh, what, why am I forgetting his name? Cooper McNeil, there you go. Uh, running with with the Proton USA, Dirk Muller, Patrick Ossenheimer, and Austin Sindrick. Uh, driving in that car. So that'll be an interesting combination. Three drivers. So Cindric's going to have to do some work. Uh, they're expecting a lot. And of course, we all know Austin Cindric's a great road racer. Um, Ross Gunn, Alex Riberos, Maxime Martin, and the harder racing Aston. The BMW team ALL uh, this year, they're going to be running the M4 with the ugly, ugly fucking nose. Um, Philip Bang, Marco Wittman, Nick Yaloy, Sheldon Vanderlinde in the 24, Connor D. Filippi, John Edwards, Augusto Farfus, and Jesse Crone in the number 25. And then, so yeah, there's, so WeatherTech has two, you know, they have two cars just based on their own, just in the GT Pro. And then they also are running the, um, they're helping and assisting Proton with their effort as well. Okay. Uh, don't want to forget the Risi Competizione, Ferrari, Alexander Perguidi, James Collado, Daniel Serra, and Davide Rigon. Um, very uh, formidable uh, effort. The team that won the uh, Lamborghini. The Lamborghinis have been very competitive in recent years at the Rolex. So it's not really surprising a factory Lamborghini team going and winning. Um, Apelli, Andrea Calderari, Mirko Bottolotti, and Rolf Inishin. Um, then Cooper McNeil, Julian Andlauer, Matteo Caroli, and Alessio Piccarello. So that's a 79 Porsche. He'll also, McNeil will also be driving in the 97 Mercedes with Mauro Engel, Daniel Yucandela, and Jules Gunyan. Uh, so two uh, guys, Engel and Yucandela, I think, are Mercedes factory, and uh, Gunan, the veteran French driver. The one... Uh, the GTD, and so now that so that's GT Pro. Josh, 
Um, nice field considering there was only like four cars, I think, or something most races or three cars at most races last year. And what was the, um, LM, what is it? The GT, uh, right. I forget what the hell they called it. It was the, uh, GT, GTLM category. Yep. Thank you. So deeper field, a lot of good, solid teams and drivers, but, uh, you know, the Lamborghini won last week but you know the ferrari will be there you have you just have to figure the corvettes are going to be there um it's either that or they're going to like i don't think they're going to sit there and sandbag um when you only yeah, have they one have car they i mean you know like i mean if they were they're they're not going to get the help that they really need to make up that much time uh but it is chevy um they're liable to go and sandbag they did whatever that's just the thing uh but they also aren't going to go sit there and commit to being in the class for the long term if they're not going to be able to make their car competitive. I don't think they're going to sit there and get run over all year by customer teams um, and BMW running a new car with Ray Hall. Yeah, it's but be it's too. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be seen with this class. It's a, you have those full factory efforts, really the big time drivers, GT drivers. Um, but and then you also have some guys that are just looking at this opportunity. I mean, you look at Jack Hawksworth being able to get back into a, a somewhat bigger class, former IndyCar driver, kind of got a raw deal, may have not had the best opportunities. Um, and with Kyle Kirkwood, who almost was left out without an opportunity. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I it's hard to really pinpoint who would be a favorite there, I would say. Uh, I think that one is going to be just like all the other classes so far. Uh, you're going to have to go the whole way. I mean, it's a sprint race now in the Rolex. I mean, I know you drive all different types of vehicles on, on iRacing and other Sims, but to go in the Rolex 24, when I first started watching it was an endurance race. You literally had to make it. Most of these cars would break. There would only be like, they'd have 80 cars in the race, 80 plus cars in the race. And there'd be like 30 by the end of whatever. You wouldn't even have 50%. Some of them would look like they were duct tape specials. Now you need to go. And uh, it's crazy to think that that's how it is, but it shows the uh, improvements in technology and improvements in all these different areas to make these cars just basically be able to race 24 hours like it's a sprint, you know? Yeah, I mean, basically, you have now what's a, a sprint race. You're running qualifying laps uh, for the most part in uh, these, uh, not just this race. I mean, I, I feel like Daytona in general, because of the nature of the track, makes it very easy to run qualifying laps because, I mean, as a track itself, it's, I mean, not all that challenging. Um, I mean, rel relatively speaking, of course, but you know, you, you have a chicane on the back stretch. you have the, the NASCAR oval per, uh, portion. And then of course, I mean, the really only like tough part of the racetrack, I feel like is um, the first turn going, you know, from the high speed like that, you know, going into the inner loop, um, which is a you know pretty low speed section of the relatively low speed uh, section of the track. Um, but you know, overall you're running qualifying laps and the nature of the track allows you to kind of do that. You know, in the past, I mean, go back to the first Rolex 24 that I think I paid attention to, which is 2004. Dale Jr. and Tony Stewart were going to win that thing, and then the transmission broke with like 20 minutes left. Well, no, that the uh, that uh, you know that's yeah, 2004 makes me physically ill. It's part of the reason why I didn't like Dale Jr. as a driver because I think he hit everything but the lottery um, when he drove the car. 
And then Tony Stewart had to drive on two wheels. It was a suspension. It was a wishbone or suspension issue. And they had um, they had Max Crawford sitting there and they had a camera on his face and he's literally freaking out. And he's like, man, how am I going to he's always had like this like bad luck or whatever stuff would happen. He was connected to the um, Dyson team and they won finally, but stuff would happen. And Max Crawford just had this look of absolute fear and like, what the hell we've we I mean, the race, there was like rain. They had a red flag. It was it was bad. Um, I always blame Junior for, um, you know, not for why Tony doesn't have a Rolex that year. And then he went and 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 took his soul in the 500 when Tony pulled over with 18 laps to go um, for a million or two million dollars, which is why I I've never seen Tony was angry has been angry about water bottles. He's been angry about all kinds of things. The way he handled losing that Daytona 500 after dominating the race, he was way too happy about it. But I'm just saying that. I yeah. mean, it, it, if it, I mean, God bless Dale Jr. He's a great podcaster, great He's announcer, a and a Hall great, great Hall of Fame her famer too with Tony. Um, Tony, I think, won the Hall of Fame, not just, uh, you know, he's a, a recent Hall of Famer, but I think he won the night with all of his dates. Um, he was definitely styling and profiling like Ric Flair. Um, if you saw the pictures on Instagram, you'd be very <laughs> pleased. Oh, yeah. um, and, I, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I am that good. And that's basically what Tony's always done. Uh, but at least now he's, now he's got a ring on one of them. So, and she drives a car and goes 340 miles an hour. So it's kind of, that's kind of hot. Um, but the, yeah, that, that 2004 race, uh, bothers me. There's certain races that just bother me. I mean, there is a period of time we're going to get into it with the 500 here in a few weeks from like 2002 through 2008, like virtually every year, Tony, Tony could have won virtually every one of those 500s and something would happen. Um, The two biggest races at Daytona, Tony couldn't win, but he won virtually everything else at Daytona. Tony couldn't win the Indianapolis 500 when he was running for one of the biggest teams, but he won the break, finally won the Brickyard 400 twice. Um, sorry, uh, the, nah, yeah, the 2000, the 2004 thing just, just brings back bad memories, but go ahead. No, I know. But I mean, even with the reliability, I mean, go back even like 10 or 12 years ago when, uh, Juan Pablo Montoya and Chip Ganassi racing, I think, uh, I think even Jamie Mack was in, uh, that car, the, the star so. car 2000, I think 2010 or 2011, they, yeah. um, they went to the garage for like a half hour or something and made a repair. Uh, I think they like lost the brakes or the transmission issue or something. I can't remember, but you know, anyways, they you know, went to the garage for a significant amount of time and came out and managed to come back and win the whole thing. So uh, even back then there was still issues re- with reliability, but now like if you uh, had that issue, you're probably done. So and you know you're probably not going to be able to recover and get a good finish. I mean, you know, especially with uh, the the prototype class and the DPI. Like, if you have that issue, you're done. You're not going to be able to win the race or even get back to uh, getting onto the podium for uh, your class. But maybe some of the other uh, classes, and especially um, you know in years past, like yeah, GTLM, um, yeah, LMP3, uh, when it was a not as popular or you know there's only like a few entries like as i remember there was one year it was maybe like two or three entries in one class and basically like the two of the cars were like 
basically out of the race. And then there was another car that was like uh, 20 laps behind or something. I don't, I think it was probably like 2015 or 2014, like when they went back to the United sports car format after merging um, the Rolex sports car series and uh, American Le Mans series and uh, all that stuff. But um, now, yeah, even, even in the lower classes, it's a, a pretty tight field. And you talked about it in GTLM, like in years past, it's been like a four car class, the Corvettes, and then a BMW and a Porsche. Now this year, yeah, it's definitely going to be a super competitive uh, class. Of course, yeah, I expect the Corvettes to be there up uh, in the front. I definitely believe they're probably uh, sandbagging on qualifying speed, but they'll be there uh, in race trim. But I mean, I expect, you know, at least one of the, the Porsche cars, uh, I mean, really any, any of the main, I, I think probably one of the weather tech cars be up there. Um, and then also, you know, you can't count out uh, BMW with uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, uh, especially, uh, you know, if you look at their history, it's usually comes down to the Corvettes or one of the BMWs. Um, so I, I think those guys may be their sandbagging as well. Uh, so possible um, contender there, dark horse, if you want to call it that, uh, in GTD Pro. Um, kept calling it GTLM because that's what it used to be, but now it's just GTD yeah. uh, and everything. And then, of course, just regular GTD. Um, I mean, even like some of the cars that uh, you could uh, consider in GTD Pro, like uh, you have Vassar Sullivan uh, in their Lexus with Kyle Kirkwood. And they have one entry in there to try to win the GTD Pro. And then they also have another entry uh, in GTD uh, in the AM class. So uh, they could potentially, if, you know, strategy goes right, uh, they could potentially win two classes, which of course be a, a huge victory. And of course, you know, at least spread out your chances of winning the uh, Rolex 24. So that's actually a, a pretty good strategy there uh, in that respect. You know, you have one with, you know, TV announcer and uh, I don't know which car or how they do it, but I know Bozy's probably pitting one of those cars um, in that race, but you know, of course yeah. in GTD, you know, Kenny Abel, of course, in the pay, paying his way into the Mercedes uh, GT3 with Sun Energy, his company, and having a good uh, good qualifying speed. Um, I'm looking at the names on this uh, here, but yeah, uh, looks like it could be dominated by Mercedes or one of the Mercedes GT3s, and or possibly a um, uh, Lamborghini, even even in GTD. So uh, it's going to be a competitive class, uh, even in. Uh, the deepest AM class, class. Yeah. yeah the am class is the deepest class amongst the whole entire field there's 20 something cars um you got you know the the acura number 12 with tvs townsend bell um the full season drivers will be aaron tielitz frankie Montecalvo. Uh, their endurance drivers richard highstand and uh yeah townsend bell there in the am car or GTD car, um, we can't call it AM now, but um, in the 16 Wright Motorsports, uh, Hard Zach Ryan Hardwick, Jan Halen, Zachary Robichon, who drove for FAF Motorsports last few years, and Richard Leitz. So that's a very strong combination. Uh, Bill Sweedler, Jeff Siegel in the TR3 Lamborghini. You have Tony Vlander uh, in the AF Corsa 21 Ferrari. And uh, but uh, 27 Aston has Ian James, Roman DeAngelis, Darren Turner, uh, Tom Gamble. Never heard of him. Ian James, Roman DeAngelis, Darren Turner. So, somewhat or uh, long time, uh, Darren Turner, of course, long time Aston guy. Ian James, uh, a big part of the effort here. And then the Allegra Motorsports 28, 
with Daniel Morad, Michael D. Cazada, Linus Lundqvist, uh, who is running in, in the Indy Lights uh, series, and Maximilian Gotz, who's a factory Mercedes driver. The number 32 as Mike Skeen. Uh, uh, I always remember Mike Skeen being on Tommy Kendall's, uh, young Tom Kendall's uh, show on uh, Speed Channel, where they were giving guys who, like, I think they were giving um, hard luck drivers who haven't had the funding or the support an opportunity to drive. And it was like Pontiac something, uh, Solstice, or yeah, Pontiac Solstice and other vehicles. And he starred in that. And then there was that. And when um, Mike Skeen's girlfriend at the time smacked um, Max Pappas in the face with, at uh, Mossport, which was great. Um, Stephen McAleer, Scott Andrews, James Davison, uh, Sim Racer, IndyCar, sports car guy. The number 34 GMG Porsche, James Sofronis, of course, the owner there. Urin Bleekamolen, a teammate there. So that's an interesting, I don't know what that is, Movo. The Carbon 39 will have Jeff Westfall, the Lamborghini. Corey Lewis and uh, Robert McGinnis, an Indy Lights driver. The uh, number 42 Lamborghini, Don Young, I don't know, Marcus Paltata, yeah, Paltala. Uh, Yeah, I'm not really sure about any of those guys. Uh, The Magnus number 44 Aston this year will be um, Potter, John Potter, of course, the owner, Spencer Pompelli, Andy Lally, and Johnny Adam. The, um, of course, Pump Alley and Lally, longtime sports car aces, friends, part of the Georgia connection with Ryan Eversley and others. Uh, so that'll be an interesting combination there. Uh, the number 47 uh, Ferrari uh, will have Antonio Fuco. That's the only one I know from that group. Number 57 Windward Mercedes, Lucas Auer, who um, comes from, uh, I think he's a Mercedes factory guy, Russell Ward, Philip Ellis, Mikhail Grenier, and then the Crucial Motorsports uh, McLaren. Not, I mean, John Miller, Paul Holton, I know those names just a little bit. There's two uh, McLarens in this uh, in this class, so we'll get to the other one. Um, Owen Trinkler, Hugh Plum, Matt Plum, and TGM Porsche 64, Till Bechtelsheimer, Mark Miller, uh, part of the DWR Thursday Night Blunder a crew as a driver and a driver analyst, Mario Farnbacher, and an Acura. Um, Josh mentioned the 75 Sun Energy Mercedes. They run the full season. Oh, they actually went back to orange. Wow, what a novel concept. Um, once, uh, I mean, they had, I remember when the Sun Energy car actually was good. They had a good paint scheme and then they went on Chase Elliott's car and then they fucked it up uh, with like a blue and art. Like it was horrible. And didn't he, didn't Chase win? I don't, I think Chase Elliott won his first race in a Sun Energy car. Uh, yeah. yeah. And at Watkins Glen. Yeah. And it was, I'm like, that's the worst paint scheme they've had. And then he won his first race, but then it doesn't matter. You could take you could take a shit right Chase Elliott and anybody would any of them fucks would go and buy it. But um yeah, so that's Raffaele Marciello, Luca Stoltz, both are factory Mercedes drivers. Um Kenny Hables, the dead weight, um uh, Jordan Pepper, that's uh, uh the seventy inception uh, 
McLaren. Yeah, I don't know who any of those other people are. A T3 Lamborghini. There's a TR3 Lamborghini and there's T3 Lamborghini. Misha Goikberg, uh, who's been in the GTD class for the last few years. Frank Pereira, former IndyCar cart driver, actually. Then you have the Turner Motorsports, uh, the ageless Bill Oberlin, uh, Robbie Foley, Michael Dynan, and Jens Klingman. So that's a good, solid lineup. The Northwest uh, Aston Martin, of course, Paul Dallalana. The money in that, the Northwest part of the deal. Uh, he runs in the... Uh, GTM or yeah, category in uh, World Endurance Championship. And he brings Charlie Eastwood, Nikki Team, who are factory Aston Martin drivers over. A hard point Porsche sees Catherine Legg uh, uh, run with Rob Ferriol. They'll be running the full season. Stefan Wilson will be driving in uh, this car. So um, that'll be an interesting combination if things fall the right way. I think they have an, their sneaky pick uh, in this uh, deal. But I think Josh is on in regards to the Mercedes and the Lamborghinis. Um, there aren't that many Acuras. Uh, there's only one, actually, it looks like. You know, one Acura altogether, which is kind of a shame considering how competitive the NSX was. Um, you know, Porsche, Lamborghini, and Mercedes. <clears throat> are going to be the ones to watch here in the Rolex 24. Before we move forward, um, there are other standouts in the, uh, what do you call, Michelin Pilot Challenge. You know, Sheena Monk, uh, Kyle Marcelli driving in number three Toyota in the Grand Sport class. Uh, Tom Long, number six. Uh, Trent Hinman is going to be running in the Aston Martin, number seven, with his teammate, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce that guy's last name. Andrew Davis in number eight, Porsche. Um, going to go over here, look at some of these. Colin Brown will be in the 21 Riley Motorsports Toyota, uh, Drew Staveley will be number 24, Ian Lacey Ford, Stephen McAleer in the number 28 Porsche, James Afronis in the number 32 Porsche, is, uh, so he'll be running double duty. Chad McCombie, former NASCAR driver and uh, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, actor, uh, driving the number 40 Mustang. Then number 41 will have Austin Cedric and Harrison Burton. And the number 42 will have Chase Briscoe and Haley Deegan. So I guess Chase Briscoe lost the coin toss there. Um, Hugh and Matt Plum will be in the TGM number 46. Oh, so the whole team, so the team that's going to run the Rolex are also going to be running two cars in <clears throat> the um, Michelin Pilot Challenge. Billy Johnson, who used to be married to a very chesty woman, um, ran for Roush Racing. Uh Core Motorsports Mustang, uh, Eric Foss, um, Murillo Racing Mercedes, and Michael Cooper and Robin Liddell and the Rebel Rock Racing Chevy, and Spencer Pompalion will be the number 83 Porsche, uh, Al Carter, and number 92 BMW, the Black Swan Racing Porsche. We'll have the Bleeka Mullins and Tim Pappas, number 540, Robbie Foley, Michael Dine, and number 96. Turner sort BMW and the number 95 will have Bill Arberlin, Dylan McAvern, and Tyler McQuarrie, former drifter and drag racer, uh, will be in the number 93 Carbon 718 Porsche. Uh, when it goes to the touring car TCR category, a lot of Hyundais, as we talked about last week, uh, you'll see the number one 
uh, defending series champions of Taylor Hagler and Michael Lewis in the Michael or Brian Herta Autosport, Curb Agajani, and Hyundai Elantra. Then uh, the number two, Ryan Norman, former Indy Lights driver. I'm trying to look through that, man. And the number 33, the one to look at is Mark Wilkins and, of course, Robbie Wickens making his uh, racing return. Michael Johnson uh, running a team with help from uh, Brian Hurd Autosport and Steven Simpson and number 54 Hyundai. Ryan Eversley, uh, Mike Lamara in the number 73 LA Honda World Honda Civic. And then you'll have, uh, I'm trying to look through, Parker Chase, number 98 Hyundai. So they've switched over to the Elantra, which is cool. It's interesting. Um, yeah, so that's the field there. I mean, do you have any thoughts or picks uh, off the top? Do you? I guess we can pick overall. Um, I think overall winner, and uh, let's get the pick started for 2022 uh, in regards to racing. We'll do the overall, so assuming it'll be an LM, uh, DPI car, um, who do you think? And then I guess the other one we'll go with is GT Pro category. Who do you think will win there? Yeah, I mean, it's um, the, I mean, it would be very statistically impossible for a DPI car to not be the overall winner of the 24, but um, I mean, it would have to be one of those, but I mean, I, I look at, I mean, the, the, the 10, uh, Wayne Taylor racing car, I mean, uh, great. I mean, all these drivers are pretty great, but I mean, they of course are the fastest, uh, so far, but I mean, I don't know if they can pull it off and go back to back. And, uh, and I, I feel like I like the zero one with, yeah. Uh, Vanderzan, um, Scott Dixon, the Iceman, uh, Alex Polo, and Sebastian Bourdais, Seabass. So I'm going to go with the zero one. Uh, I like I like that team, and I feel like they have a good pace overall. Uh, they probably would have won last year too. Uh, they ended up having a, a flat tire uh, with about ten laps or ten minutes to go. Uh, so I think um, they end up pulling it out overall um, and everything. Uh, LMP two. Uh, it's hard hard not to go against the you know i'm going to go with the dragon speed 81 of course there's going to be a lot of coverage there uh colton herta the indy car drivers basically it's the super indy car team for uh andretti autosport plus pato from mclaren uh there um who used to be an andretti autosport guy of course yeah so the connection is still there uh which it's okay for sports cars and everything yeah lmp3 um Probably, you know, just roll with the Andretti Autosport uh, kind of again in the actual Andretti Autosport car with Jared Andretti, 36. And then you got, you know, Gabby Chavez, Josh Burden, and Remus Linda uh, in uh, the 36 Andretti Autosport. Uh, GTD Pro, uh, I'm going to go Chevy and go with uh, the three. And Jordan Taylor, Antonio Garcia, and Nikki Casper there. And then GTD, uh, we'll go, yeah, we'll it's a tough one because there's a lot of cars, a lot of cars in here that you can pick. But I mean, I just stick with, uh, you know, one of the Mercedes cars and, you know, I'll go with uh, uh, Windward Racing number 57, just start off from the pole and uh, go, you know, stay up at the front for the race. Yeah, those are all solid picks. I, I felt like you were going to go one. I had two picks in my head 
And I was thinking you were going to go one way and you were leaning there and then you switched to my other pick. So I'm just going to go with the um, the Wayne Taylor Acura. I never thought a few years ago that I'd be rooting for a Wayne Taylor car, mainly because I really can't stand Wayne Taylor, but his kids are cool um, and they're both really great race car drivers. But now he's he runs an Acura, so I have a reason to root for him. Um, you know, Alexander Rossi, when he has a bit between his teeth, is one of the best racers in the world um he got to formula one he's won the indy 500 he's been one of the most competitive drivers he's had a rough patch he's basically become like reinhardt array um you know with like bad luck but you have taylor and albuquerque which is a formidable duo and will stevens who has a lot of experience in open wheel cars and also in sports cars they're a very um, strong driver lineup. Uh, I, I honestly, I'm not going to pick a Cadillac. So it was either going to be them or I was going to pick the Meyer Shank car. I don't think the Meyer Shank team has two brand, four brand new drivers um, this year. So it's going to be hard. You know, if they had continuity, I think I would have probably went there. But I'll go with the ten. Uh, the dark horse. I'm going to do like uh, my old buddy um, Adam. Um, uh, from yesteryear and all the old podcasts I used to do. The Dark Horse, I think, is a 48 car um, because of how strong that lineup is. In regards to LMP2, I'm going to go I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to go with the uh, number 52 PR1 Matheson car. Ben Keating used to drive the Viper, uh, have the Viper program in gtd and uh he's a really great am driver and he has a great team with him uh, so i think it's gonna be uh they're gonna win that and uh the uh, dark horse pick to me in that sense would be and i don't even think they're really a dark horse is the uh 22 united autosport car of one of the teams that comes out of europe in the lmp3 I'll always pick Core Autosport. I've been a fan of Core Autosport for a long time. Boys respected Colin Braun. He's a really good good driver. I uh, kind of got a raw deal in NASCAR. Um, the 54 and the 74 are going to be, um, they're the full season battle, really. There's a lot of good cars in this class, performance tech as well. But the 54 and the 74, I think it'll come down to them. Uh, I forgot to mention, I mean, yeah, Josh, you mentioned the 81. I think they'll get the coverage. I think the 29 will get a coverage. But in the end, uh, the OGs are going to go and get it done. In the GT Pro category, um, I'm not going to, you know, there's no way I would pick a Chevy anyway, but not willingly. Uh, in this case, I'm going to go... I have to go with a team that has, I'm going to go with the number 25 uh, with the Americans, Connor D. Filippi and John Edwards, Augusto Farfis, Jesse Crone. Uh, Ray Allerman Lanigan's been very successful at Daytona. The race, the sprint race may have not went their way, but it's 24 hours. Uh, so I would say that they're somebody I would look at. Of course, uh, I think the nine car, amongst the teams that have three drivers is going to be an interesting um, combination factory Porsche effort. You can never go against, it's hard to pick against a Porsche uh, factory effort at Daytona. Um, so we'll see what the plaid Porsche does there 
in the what do you call uh, GTD category. I'm gonna go and pick the number. I'm gonna pick the number twenty-eight. Um, mainly because it's my favorite number. Uh, no, but I mean, yeah, they're they're a really good team. They were competitive last year. Uh, they're competitive right now, and I think the twenty-eight car gets the dub. But the number sixteen, Wright Motorsports, they won the championship last year. It's a Porsche. It's Daytona. Um, they're gonna be tough the, to beat in that class. And you and I'm doing an Adam here. You can never forget the Turner Motorsport. BMW, uh, Bill Auburn's been racing since, uh, you know, I don't know, since Model T's have been around or whatever. I think he's been racing as long as I've been alive, which is 37 years, probably more than that. Uh, so the fact of the matter is that team would be cool if Turner Motorsport could go and get a dub. If, if you know, the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan team gets a dub, two BMW victories there, bringing it back old school to prototype technology group. So we will see what happens with the Rolex 24. We'll go over that um, next week. Uh, what is it? From there, we get into conference championship week. Um, I mean, the reality is, what is it? Joey Burrow goes into Tennessee, knocks off the number one seed, uh, Tennessee Titans with his Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Brian Tannehill turns into Miami Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill, or what he was basically in the second half of the season, which was an ordinary quarterback. And uh, even with Derrick Henry's return, you know, and the fact that there wasn't really a whole lot of touchdowns there, it was Evan the leg who did a lot of the work for the Cincinnati Bengals to get them into the AFC championship game for the first time since I think it was 1989. So that's 88. when uh, yeah. 88, yeah, 88 when freaking George Esiason or whatever the fuck um, Boomer, because I, I think it was um, it was Anthony, yeah, Anthony Cumia and, and Boomer Esiason went to high school, the same high school, and he would go and call him by his government and Boomer Esiason beat his ass. Um, so, yeah, Cincinnati Bengals into the AFC championship game after being in Tennessee tuxedos. Uh, rough way to end the year. Uh, Tennessee did get the number one seed, but really it was like a smoke and mirrors number one seed, um, which was proven uh, the next day. Uh, the Niners started out rough, gave up an opening drive touchdown. Dante Johnson was getting torched uh, by uh, A.A. Ron. And then after that, you know, the, the Green Bay Packers had the momentum they for a lot of the game they look like they were going to win it uh, but special teams you have two of the worst special teams units in the nfl playing against each other uh green bay special teams is worse than the niners which is scary to think considering how bad the niners special teams is we don't have a punter wishnowski's a fucking hack um jermichael hasty is like an aneurysm waiting to happen um, when he cat when he does anything with a football, um, they had Travis Benjamin back there, which is also kind of sketchy, but it's not as bad uh, for punts. Richard Hightower, I think, is like one of Kyle Shanahan's friends, or else the guy who wouldn't have a job. Uh, Robbie Gould did his thing, though. Uh, it proved once again kicking in the NFC North for as many years as he did. Uh, proved very uh, valuable there. Um, the special teams was the difference. The Niners blocked one of Mason Crosby's kicks, and then the punt block that Hufanga 
uh, went and returned for the touchdown was a difference. And and D'Amico Ryans, who probably won't get a head coaching job, um, even though, I mean, he's proven that he's worthy this year of taking this unit to a top 10, whatever, and a lot of stat categories. And they were three and five week eight after eight, nine weeks in the season. And they've been nine and two since. Uh, a lot of it has to go, credit has to go to D'Amico Ryans and the way he's called defense. Um, I wasn't very keen on how he called defense in the final drive against Dallas, but the game plan he had um, after that opening drive uh, by Rodgers, he held him down. He held the likely MVP of the league um, to 55 yards in the second half, which is epic. Um, Devontae Adams was able to feast. They basically said, yeah, sure. We'll give up the fact that Devontae Adams is going to be Devontae Adams. But they couldn't do any. None of the rest of them can do anything. Got a yeah. turnover from Mercedes Lewis, too. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the Niners win. I was so ecstatic. You know, it was unbelievable. I was there. I was not very happy at the start of the night. And then by the end, I'm celebrating in a Hooters with my buddy John and a bunch of – and who was left was like a bunch – there's Niners people, one other Niners dude, and – it was it was crazy. Robbie Gold was good as gold. Um, the the Greg Papa, um, it's funny. My mom heard Greg Papa's uh, celebrate whatever his calls, and he's like, he sounds like one of those Spanish soccer announcers. Like, yep, that is Greg <laughs> Papa. God bless him. But he is very enthusiastic, and he does a very good job, and he knows his stuff. Um, he's the opposite of like John Sterling and Susan Waldman. Uh, or any Yankee announcer or most of Knicks people too. Um, but they went through the uh, game on Sunday, uh, games on Sunday. L.A. took a huge lead in Tampa Bay. Um, Brady was getting hit. Brady was struggling. And then the Rams literally gave them the opportunity to get back, not only in the game, but win. Uh, but Tampa Bay couldn't do it. And then in they left Cooper Cup open twice. In in overtime or in a four, like that that game went regulation. It was regular, regular. They left Cooper Cup open twice, and really, I mean, Cooper Cup. It's like I think the MVP shouldn't just be a quarterback award, even though it's basically become that. Cooper Cup's the MVP could be is basically the MVP of the league. It's him and Derrick Henry, to be fair, because you see what Tennessee is without Derrick Henry at a hundred percent. And you see what the LA Rams are if Cooper Cup isn't able to feast. Because the fact of the matter is they shouldn't have won that game the way they blew it. They did, and they're going to host the NFC Championship game because Green Bay shit the bed. And then, in the, of course, the game everyone talks about, the Buffalo-Kansas City deal, back and forth, two of the best quarterbacks in the league, Kermit the Frog and Josh Allen, um, Professor Jay. I felt so bad for him. Uh, Buffalo, they had a chance to win that game and gave up enough yards, 13 seconds, two plays, fucking Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I don't, there's, I just, it just irritates me beyond belief. How the fucking Kermit, the frog sounding motherfucker is able to get away with all the shit he does, but he's really damn good. I mean, he's Tom Brady 2.0. That's really what it is. 
I wouldn't even say Tom Brady 2.0 is just a whole nother thing. Cause yeah. I mean, Tom Brady is, um, I mean, he's yeah. One of the greatest of all time, but I mean, you could also say he's probably one of the luckiest of all time yep. or um, maybe the luckiest of all time, the way that yep. that NFC championship game went down, especially um, cause it was 27 to three. And, you know, I, went and i mean even went and took a walk outside and i, mean, I was watching on my phone but was able to, uh, to do that and then come back and then uh, i was down 27 still and i'm like okay well maybe this is it for tom brady and then oh they get a touchdown um then oh they get a fumble they uh turn it over on downs but then they get another fumble get it back and then uh they get the ball back and then oh there's a touchdown Leonard fournette goes in and grabs a uh gets a touchdown for improves why he's playoff lenny uh in January, uh, that's when he's actually good for some reason. But then on defense, they they let they basically let uh, Cooper Cup in single coverage with uh, uh, what's his name Anton Winfield Jr. and let him go in coverage. Sean Murphy bunting yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, especially especially on the play that got them into field goal range, uh, Cooper Cup uh, single coverage with uh, Antoine Winfield. They left him out there like that, and they shouldn't have. Uh, so that was a, a bad play call there, and. You know, especially in critical situations, you know, Todd Bowles is going, I think he might be getting interviewed too, but that might be something you think about uh, in that situation there, especially, uh, you know, calling that type of defense in a you know, critical moment of the game. But you know, ultimately the uh, LA Rams will go home uh, to win or yeah, not to win, but you know, they'll win to go home and face uh, your, your 49ers and the NFC championship and, and everything. So we'll see how, how that goes. And, uh, SF is already two and zero against LA, so uh, we'll see if they can go three and zero versus LA. And yeah, it was funny I saw on online. I guess uh, apparently the the 49ers have uh, or not the 49ers, but the Rams uh, who are hosting the game have already limited uh, ticket sales uh, to uh, I guess residents within the area of LA because uh, they know that. Uh, yeah, the last time they went around SF, uh, all the San Francisco fans and 49ers fans, I mean, don't have to live in, in it was uh, three and three and yeah, one LA. It was uh, basically a, a 49ers home game, which tells you how many people yep. actually like the, the Rams and for the Chargers for that matter. They should still be in San Diego. I'll say that even as a Jaguars fan, but uh, you know, they yeah, they have the chance to go to the Super Bowl. We'll see if um, uh, either of those teams, I think I lean towards San Francisco because. San Francisco, I feel like they have a better defense and they put pressure on Matthew Stafford last time, uh, especially to get into the playoffs. So uh, I like it. I like a team that knows who they are and they can dictate the way that they want to play the game. And that's certainly what they've been able to do so far uh, in the playoffs, play hard defense. They, they know how to scheme up the run. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is suspect, but you know, he, uh, when he, he's able to, when he, you know, he's able to get in a groove, uh, he's able to, to do something. I mean, we saw how he was able to go out and basically get his team into the playoffs, uh, so far. And, um, you know, for the first half, uh, three quarters of the, the Cowboys game, he was on it. And then the fourth quarter, it kind of came apart, but, uh, uh, you know, even, even then, like he was, um, pretty serviceable this past game, of course, cold weather and everything. So maybe you can uh, give him a pass on that, but still um, it took, basically it took the special teams to win the game for the 49ers uh, against the, the Green Bay Packers. And then of course on the, uh, the AFC side, of course, Bill's Chiefs is the big game that everybody's talking about. And yeah, who knew that uh, Gabriel Davis, you know, he's a UCF product and uh, was really good there. And then of course, going out and getting all those points, uh, five touchdowns, probably the greatest performance in a playoff game for a wide receiver that didn't win 
uh, or wasn't on the winning side. Uh, so yeah, three toddies I, for yeah. Gabriel Davis. They left no, I think open. he had five. Well, did he? He had five. He had five touchdowns in the game, and he had like two hundred yards receiving. Look it up, right? right. Look it up, right? Yeah, now. I'll check it. Yeah, but keep going. I'll I'll check yeah. it. Yeah, but yeah, he had probably the greatest game ever for a wide receiver, uh, and definitely should have deserved to go on the win. But the problem was, is the Bills defense uh, got got super leaky uh, in that game. Uh, four. Okay, so four touchdowns. Two hundred one and four. Yeah, but still, probably one of the greatest games ever for a wideout. Epic. Uh, yeah. So in the playoffs, but yeah, I mean, they what they had to do is they kick it short of the end zone, uh, force them to return the ball. And ideally you have them get tackled like around the 20, the 15 to 20 yard line. Uh, but they weren't able to do that uh, for the bills against the chiefs. Uh, and then that gave Patrick Mahomes enough time. And then they uh, failed to play a good defense. They, they basically protected the end zone, uh, I guess, in the chance of, a you know, one of those lucky plays like uh, New England uh, against Miami a few years ago uh, and that ending, but uh, they, you know, they failed to protect the middle of the field and that allowed Travis, Travis Kelsey to grab the ball and get them into field goal range. And then coin toss, it was over after that. And, you know, people are talking about like, oh, should should they have a equal overtime like in college where everybody gets a, uh, at least uh, guaranteed one possession to continue the game? And I'm just like, just play defense. You know, um, they had a chance to stop them, you know, before to get into overtime, either through uh, special teams and then on defense. And then they failed to stop them. Uh, in, in overtime. So, you know, like this is the NFL. I mean, it shouldn't be like college. Um, everybody, everybody says, Oh, it shouldn't be sudden death. And they've already made so many rule changes to it and everything. But I just, you know, I think, you know, it goes back to the fundamentals. They, they failed to, uh, you know, have the fundamentals on, on defense when it mattered. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they were playing against Patrick Mahomes and everything. So yeah. Uh, you know, that's, you know, it can't just be against the chiefs. Like, because you know, if any other team, like you know, let's say the Jaguars AFC Championship game in the in the uh, overtime, and then they don't, you know, they let's say they they get the ball and they only kick, a, or it doesn't matter who it is. I just what I'm trying to say it shouldn't matter whether it's Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence, or uh, Tom Brady or whoever else. Like um, you know, they they get possession and you got to stop them. So play defense. Uh, um, you know, the whole guaranteed touchdown or you know guaranteed drive thing is uh, bullshit to me. So. You know, just play defense, but you know, the other games, um, of course, Evan McPherson, Gator guy, of course, goes out and he proved himself at UF kicking all those kicks. Um, especially, um, you know, as as he made it as they made their run for uh 2020, but um, he goes out, makes the game winning field goal, he's been clutch all year, um, and everything. And then now they will rematch against the Chiefs, uh, basically a rematch of their regular season matchup in Cincinnati, where Jamar Chase had that really great game, and it was a shame that. Um, Joe had him in fantasy because um, if somebody else had him in fantasy and is actually playing uh, during that round, then it would have been a, a, a whole lot uh, entertaining, yeah. you know, to watch that, but it's the 500 a, yard. Yeah. yeah. Beating Baltimore, all the Baltimore Raven fans yeah. salty that he put up five bills and I don't know how many touchdowns. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that I like, I don't know why. Well, no. I think you cut out there. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And now I'm back. Um, microphone is changed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know why I was muted and then it, I unmuted and never had an issue. And then that happens there. Uh, I was just talking about how all the Baltimore fans, I mean, are one of our guests, Phil Spain, wasn't very happy, um, with, the with the Joe Burrows, 
um, conduct or way he played, but the reality is, yeah, you have third string guys, you have COVID, but the point is Baltimore Ravens haven't handled COVID very well. Compared to other teams, they are going to keep John Harbaugh, it looks like, but they're also keeping Greg Roman, which is probably why they're never going to win anything. See San Francisco 49ers. Um, but, you know, the, the Joe Burrow, the way he's played, I, I just like how he plays, man. I don't know what it is. I've, I've always, like, even at LSU, they're just, they're just a poise to him. He's, it's, it, he don't have to do the Kermit the Frog bullshit. He just does it from the pocket. They have to freaking get him an offensive line and that MFR could break every Cincinnati Bengals record period. That's yeah. the, he's, he's the face of the franchise. The Bengals need to protect him. Like, like, like put a great wall in front of him. period. That kid could make the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, JD sitting there hooting, making all kinds of noises, uh, watching the Bengals laugh, crying like an idiot. It's because of him and Jamar Chase, who's a freaking nut job. Um, and I say that as a Debo Samuel Mark and whatever. Jamar Chase is ridiculous. Uh, so, I mean, that game on Sunday, everyone's going to pick Kansas City. It's in Kansas City. Kansas City wants to go and beat them. Uh, but he threw for 400 plus against Kansas City and beat him. And now he's like, oh, I'm free rolling. I don't give a fuck. And all the guys on the Bengals are going to be like, I don't because the fact is they know the Kansas City Chiefs defense is very, very suspect. It always has been suspect. That's part of the reason why Patrick Mahomes has to do all the shit that Patrick Mahomes does. Um, Jarek McKinnon, who miraculously, once he left the 49ers, became healthy again, which is bullshit, um, now has become a big part of their offense. But their whole deal is about, you know, woman beater, Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, uh, who's a womanizer and isn't really a tight end. He's an overrated wide receiver. And um, that's where it is. And then they'll run the ball a little bit. It'll be interesting to see what that dynamic is in that particular game. It's going to be a tough game for sure. Um, I mean, I want to see Cincinnati win. It would be cool. It's been this whole dynamic, the way the Niners, they went through Dallas, which is a long-time rivalry, Green Bay long-time rivalry, con divisional rivalry, and coaching connection rivalry this week. And, you know, whatever happens, God willing, if they can get there and they get to play Cincinnati, who they've beaten for two Super Bowls um, in the 80s with uh, Joe Montana, um, that would be something, uh, too. Uh, I mean, also the redemption arc, if they can somehow or another um, exorcise the demon of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago and beat Kermit the Frog in Kansas City. Um, either way, the point is get there. Uh, that's my thing. I, I mean, Josh, I don't know what your picks are. I mean, I know one side of my picks. Um, I want to see Cincinnati. I think Kansas City is going to win um, the NFC Championship game. I've, I, I feel like I know what's going to happen, but you just have to play the game to really know what's going to really come off there. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I want Cincinnati to win the AFC Championship game. And I will, you said earlier that Patrick Mahomes is Tom Brady 2.0. And I will say that Joe Burrow is Tom Brady 2.0. Uh, he's got the same kind of poise that uh, Tom Brady has when, you know, everything's on the line. 
uh, for for him. And I would say he's even, probably even better than Tom Brady uh, there. But I pick Cincinnati and then NFC Championship game. Of course, you know how I've been saying, again, manifest this San Francisco wins to go to the Super Bowl uh, for uh, this game. Yeah. Manifest destiny. There you go. So, uh, San Francisco, Cincinnati, and then San Francisco wins basically a rematch of the, uh, 1981 Super Bowl. uh, there, of course, yeah, in the 1981 season, 1980 or 2021 season. So rematch of 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And then also 88, 88 season where, um, Boomer was doing the, I'm going to Disney world commercial, uh, when Joe Montana, was telling Harris Barton that he saw John Candy in the stands uh, and then proceeded to lead a 90-yard drive or whatever uh, to win that Super Bowl. Uh, his What would end up being his, I think, third of um, four Super Bowl victories there. Or actually, mm, it might be the second. No, it's a... That was yeah, 81, 80, yeah, it was his third because 81, 84, 88, yeah. yeah his third I mean, of four Super Bowl victories. And just and knowing as a Niner fan that I've met the original GOAT. Um, oh, yeah, your picture with Joe Montana. Joe, Joe Montana. Um, and we're coming up on the anniversary here in a couple of days of my favorite player of all time, Steve Young, setting the, uh, the Super Bowl record of six touchdowns here um on the 29th i have to look up super bowl 29 off the top but that was a great uh great night <clears throat> for me uh as a fan it was january 29 1995 so i was um 10 i turned 10 a few days before first time I ever bowled and um you know that was um yeah 49 to 26 against the San Diego Superchargers. Uh, Steve Young won the uh, MVP through six touchdown passes in that game. Uh, look at that in that game. What is it? Eddie DeBartle, of course, in the Hall of Fame. So one, two, three, four, five, six Hall of Famers. Um, Kathy Lee actually saying, oh, look at that. Wow. Look at the coin toss people. Jesus. Oh, Tony Bennett, Patty LaBelle. Yeah, my. Wow, that's interesting uh, halftime show. Um, Otto Graham, Joe Green, Steve Largent, Ray Nitschke, Gail Sayers, Leroy Selman, Kellen Winslow. I think all those guys went into the Hall of Fame that year. Um, and that was in uh, Joe Robbie, which is uh, what is now, uh, what the hell do they call that place? Um, Hard Rock uh, Stadium. Hard Rock Stadium, yeah. Where we'll have a Formula One race here in May. <clears throat> yeah, that'll the Miami be, International Autodrome, I think, is what is officially going to be called. Yeah, that's a terrible name, but it's it's well, it fits. It's basically like Russia. It's like the Russian Grand Prix track, except with straight. But uh, we will see. Hopefully, um, Phil's alive to yeah. do episode ninety-eight. Whatever happens in that football game, uh, but. Yeah, we'll we'll see what goes on with all of that accordingly. Yeah. Uh, we'll uh, in regards to the roundup, the next gen car they've been doing testing. They have uh, you know you got yeah the Ron Ron uh, was mentioned as uh, Ron Esau the 1986 uh, NASCAR Southwest Tour uh, 
champion uh, passed away at age 67. So um, condolences to his family. I always remember Ron Esau. That was one that his name would always, when they had ESPN or whatever, they'd always talk about TN, TNN when they, the Copper Classic, Ron Esau was always a guy they would talk about. Great driver. Oh, look at that. Baba Bowie with a Castro car. Eh, number, that, that number six just looks weird. Um, it was a Ford. Oh, okay. So it's actually a full test. So top five. So in the Wednesday practice or test was Blaney, Logano, Briscoe, Elliott, and Harvick, which uh, kind of makes you, if you're a Ford guy, which I am, uh, gives you a little bit of hope. Uh, Elliot, they spelled his name wrong. That's convenient. Uh, Todd Gilland, their seventh. Truex was the fastest Toyota in sixth. Brad was driving a number 17 car. Uh, then on uh, Tuesday, defending series champion Kyle Larson, Reddick, Legato, Stenhouse, and then the 2311, which they marked as a Ford, but as a Toyota. Oh, oh, Richard, and then the 2311 teammate, Blaney Busher. So I think it looks like, as of now, I mean, the balance might be initially. I, it's one thing I was thinking about, Josh, with this new car, um, even with also the part shortages and all that, there are going to be teams, uh, you know, Larry Mack, but the have and the have nots are going to be the car comers and goers. Um, and, uh, you know, and some of these Ford teams, of course, we talked about in the round, the, the round table, how bad they were last year. The Ford teams, I think, are coming correct, at least with testing. Uh, maybe Chevy teams are holding back. Maybe Toyota teams are holding back. But I also think that some of these Ford teams are looking at this opportunity um, uh, to go and, and take advantage of this new car and try to make a statement early because if you can make a statement early get points especially with the new um penalty system that's come out uh where if you mess with this car um you're dead to rights um so if ford can come out get some momentum get things going you know like stewart haas who was terrible all year last year you, you know penske was good the only four team that was really good but now you have a whole new team logano's a new basically leader it's an opportunity for them. We don't know what, I mean, I don't think we're really going to know what this car or what this is until they get to a cookie cutter track. But I think you, this testing and the way things are going, it kind of seems like Ford is in a good position as of now. I don't know what you're thinking, Josh, in regards to some of the testing that's going on. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting observation there, um, you know, especially with uh, the way the Fords have come out, you know, Ryan Blaney, and Team Penske, Joey Logano, even Ch uh, Chase Briscoe, they're top three uh, in practice today. Uh, and it's a indication that maybe, you know, maybe Ford's, you know, going all in on this year. And last year, they weren't really uh, up to par with Chevy and Toyota. And maybe it's a thing where they just went and focused on the future and uh, kind of stopped. Because remember, it, in the beginning of the year, they talked about front row being more competitive and uh, some other you know teams uh, freezing kind of their development for 2021 uh, and just focusing more on 2022 with this new car. Well, maybe now we're seeing the fruits of that here, especially with Ford sweeping the top three in times on day two of uh, testing. And then overall, uh, they had one, two, three, four, uh, half, yeah, so half of the uh, top 10 in practice or in, yeah, in testing for, uh, I mean, it was only 18 teams, but 
know, they had half of the top 10 in speeds there in practice time. So that could be a, um, something uh, to look out for here. Uh, still, uh, Hendrick Motorsports is still pretty fast. Uh, they had the fastest Chevy on uh, Wednesday. Chase Elliott, of course, Chase Elliott also spun out uh, in practice. So um, shows you how they're still trying to push the car, find uh, the limits of what you know they can take the car. And even just coming off of what, I mean, it used to be turn two, now it's turn four, even coming out of that, uh, you can still spin the car out. And I mean, luckily, no damage and everything, especially with uh, the parts uh, shortage. So you're able to still continue on, just change tires probably. Uh, that, of course, also is supplied by NASCAR, so helps them there. And day one, Kyle Larson was, uh, and yeah, Kyle Larson had the best time on day one. Tyler Reddick was fast or second fastest on day one as well. So, and then Ricky Stenhouse in fourth. Uh, fastest so still even there uh it's a uh, um interesting uh that the you know the chevys are still finding some speeds and then of course even on day one of testing uh fords took a lot of the spots in the top 10 uh even uh the 23 which is somehow mislabeled as a, a ford on j ski's site rather than a toyota there somehow that happened but uh yeah they they were the best toyota on day one and uh, i mean they weren't quite as fast on day two but I uh, still expect good things from Toyota as well. So yeah, overall, maybe we see Ford come out uh, on top and, you know, after Daytona, uh, once we get to the real races, uh, but maybe even Daytona as well, because uh, they've been strong there historically, but yeah, maybe in the early part of the season, we see, uh, you know, especially team Penske going out and dominating some of these races uh, in cup. You got on with some of the races and you know road courses coming up early in the season there's a possibility of you know Cindric getting a an early victory uh, of course Blaney had a career year last year and Logano with the Paul Wolf you figure at some point that's going to click and it's going to take off cuz Logano I mean most people hate him but guy can drive um and paul wolf's one of the best crew chiefs in the sport him and brad only winning one championship and not winning um you know uh all the big races because i i think wolf had already moved over a couple years ago um when brad took off the 600 took off Brickyard. Uh, so they hadn't won those big races and he finally in Darlington too. Um, you know, so that was uh something that hadn't been there. Um, so I mean those two that combination they're, they're gonna be relying on that 22 car. 12 car, they have a new crew chief Hassler, um, who was familiar with Blaney, but still um that will be a time. And then of course with Sindrick, he's a rookie. And um, that's going to be a, a, a transition. But I think the car, the way the car is, is going to suit him uh, much better than a lot of other guys in the series because of his experience running a different road racing cars. So that's something we will see. We'll find out. Um, I'm curious as to what the racing really will be uh, the first couple of weeks. Uh, the race that we'll they will be talking about the clash next week, uh, which will have all the chartered cards in there. And then we'll also get into Daytona, but I don't think we're really going to see true tough racing, uh, wheel to wheel bang, uh, bang, uh, wheels and all that stuff until we get to the second race of the year, uh, because they're trying to avoid, you know, destroying equipment since there really isn't a whole lot of equipment uh the yeah we 
didn't get into that coaching carousel bit, but it doesn't matter. Well, um, the I mean, you guys, uh, Jacksonville, it sounds like Byron Leftwich is coming well, back home. Yeah, it does sound like that, but sounds like maybe it's not going to be the signing is not going to happen as quickly as what we thought it would. Because it sounded like last night that it that was, was 100% in. like, and all they had to do was sign the, the contract and looks like maybe talks over the contract have kind of stalled or whatever, and they're still coming to uh, discussing terms on the contract. And now apparently they are going to interview Nathaniel Hackett, a former offensive coordinator in 2017 uh, on Thursday for a second interview. But it does seem like all indications that they still probably will hire Leftwich, but they, I guess, you know, sometimes you only go through the job interview process uh, you gotta, um, you know, go through everybody before you make the hire, um, and everything. But, um, you know, the Jaguars do have a problem controlling with controlling leaks in the building. Of course, you know, when you can leak to some fan, uh, uh, you know, as such as, uh, Dilla online, and, uh, then he can, you know, basically just masquerade with a Haji beats profile picture, uh, and tweet out. I mean, what is true news? I mean, he's doing accurate, you know, um, He's about as accurate as you can get with Jaguars news, but um, you know the way the way that it is, like uh, they're able to leak out this news, it gains a lot of traction. People are all all happy and everything, and uh, then you know a day later you're kind of pumping the brakes somewhat and like, okay, hold on, we gotta still talk to everybody before we make a decision, and you know that still shows the decision making on on the Jaguars end and everything um, uh, with. Uh, you know, the way that they do stuff. And I mean, I, yeah, I still have confidence that they're going to hire left, which, um, but you know, they just got to weather through some bumps, I guess, before they can make the official uh, signing. But I mean, from the people that I trust and everything still uh, sounds like all indications are that they are going to sign Byron just, you know, maybe not today, maybe, maybe by the end of the week or something, I don't know, or next week. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of figured that it was either he was going to be going there or he was going to end up staying in Tampa because Bruce decided to uh, call it quits. So uh, I guess it'll work out that if he does call it quits, then Todd Bowles will probably be the coach. But, you know, Byron Leftwich has been, he's done a really good job. Personally, I've been a fan of his as a player when he was at Marshall, um, when he was at Jacksonville playing uh, good years, some bad, whatever, some good, some bad. Maybe he didn't have some of the help he needed. He was more of a statue quarterback. Garrard kind of played a similar style. He was a little smaller, but he had the ability to run. Uh, he replaced him, and then Garrard was able to have success there. Um, but it would be a good hire for Shad Khan. It would be a good hire for the league, uh, for him, and hopefully they'll give him the time, meaning at least three years, because... Outside of Trevor Lawrence, and I mean, James Robinson's not going to play most of the year next year with his injury. So you're, you're, you have Josh Allen on the other side. You have pieces, but it's a long-term rebuild there. Um, but the AFC South, to be fair, 
is very viable. Um, Tennessee has Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and some players and Jeffrey Simmons on the defensive side. Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. Houston's a clusterfuck. Um, Indianapolis, we don't know what their quarterback situation is, but they have one of the best running backs in the league. So the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't that far away in theory. Um, if they can make some moves and get some, make some good decision. Problem is Trent Balky still there. Um, and that's where I would be worried personally, same way as the Baltimore Ravens have Greg Roman. Um, and that's part of the reason why Lamar Jackson, other than his stupidity of being COVID idiot, um, why he can't stay healthy. But I think the Giants are going to end up uh, getting Brian Dable uh, here shortly. Uh, I think they're going to have to, uh, the, from somebody I work with who's like the biggest Giants fan I've ever met. And I've met, I'm, I've been around plenty of Giants fans. Um, she knows everything. She knows everyone. She wanted the Buffalo Bills guy, the assistant GM, Adam uh, Peters, I think is his name. Uh, Adam Peters uh, got him. And then they're going to probably get Brian Dable to go and uh, fix Daniel Jones. John Mayer has basically said we've effed him up. Um, the fact that John Mayer and Steve Tisch don't give a fuck about football might also help. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that'll be this. Uh, that'll be a hire there. Um, good hire. Uh, he's been a. I mean, I think he would have gotten a job last year, similar to Bob Sala. A couple of years ago when he was in the Super Bowl, uh, didn't get a job. Then last year, Niners shit the bed, and then he got a job. Uh, in this case, it wasn't shitting the bed uh, as much as just the timing. But Dable, uh, I think, minus having to do a Rooney rule uh, token interview, which is part of why the Rooney rule isn't as effective as it should be. You need to make two. They need to make people do two interviews. Two different candidates uh, that are uh, diversity candidates, and then maybe the Rooney Rule might have a little bit more meat to it. Uh, so those, I think, those are two. You know, I mean, that are going to be there. New Orleans with no Sean Payton, that's going to be big. Um, no quarterback, bad cap situation. Uh, last two years, the Saints have lost Drew Brees and now Sean Payton, which is basically the um, the two pieces that really put the New Orleans Saints into relevancy um, and, you know, their existence being, as New Orleans, being the New Orleans Saints is in large part because of those two. And now neither of them are there. They don't have a quarterback. Draft pick situation isn't great. Michael Thomas, we don't know where he is anymore. There's a lot of problems. I'm thinking Cam Jordan's going to be the next guy to go, and then you have no identity. Um, the New Orleans Saints are going to go back to what they were prior to to um, Peyton and Breeze um, showing up in 2006, probably, um, unless something miraculous happens. Um, that's an interesting team because they're kind of ready they have opportunities. Um, if I'm if I'm a diversity candidate, I want to go there. But it does Gail Benson want to hire a diversity candidate? That's the question. If I'm like Brian Flores, I'm like I'll go and take that shot because um, Miami Dolphins are retarded. Um, getting rid of him, but um, I mean Chicago. You have Minnesota, New Orleans. Uh, I mean, there's so many jobs. I mean, now I think Dallas Cowboys might make a decision in regards to McCarthy. Uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys fans are fans of people I talk to. They're Dallas Cowboys fans. They hate they hate Kellen Moore. 
And I'm like, you're, I'm not going to take Kellen Moore slander uh, as a Boise State fan. Uh, in the end, Mike McCarthy is the final decision maker. You can say he's the offensive coordinator, but Mike McCarthy's head coach. He's the problem. You know, that and Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones is the biggest problem with the Dallas Cowboys, but then the coaches he hires are never, uh, most of the time, never uh, able to really push through. He had Bill Parcells, but then Bill Parcells is washed up anyway, and he's in a lot of ways overrated. Uh, but he didn't, he doesn't want strong minded guys. He didn't, he got rid of Jimmy Johnson for that reason. And um, he's won one Super Bowl since he got rid of Jimmy Johnson. So tells you all you need to know about that. Um, I mean, the Washington Generals are going to have a new name here next week, I think. And we'll be able to talk about that. Probably won't be Guardians, like the effing Cleveland Indians. But um, I'm trying to think who else is, has a coaching vacancy. The Raiders do. Raiders are viable. That's something that I think if the Mark Davis had any intelligence, you'd go and hire a guy like Flo. Um, some of these other, you know, like Leslie Frazier uh, would be a stabilizing force there. Um, there are other coaches. I'm just, my thing is, I'm just hoping nobody goes and gets D'Amico Ryans or gets our uh, Niners GM, assistant GM, because he got interviews for the Giants and people thought he might have gotten it. So I'm kind of worried about losing people the way that we've lost people the last few years. Uh, but we will see, and we will keep you updated in regards to any coaching or other changes. Super Speedway Racing. Wow. Now that's the ad they posted today. We'll feel Super Speedway's cars for, wow. So they'll just destroy a lot of vehicles. That's super. Um, Howie D. Savino running partial Xfinity schedule. Alpha Prime. Alpha Prime. Announced, announced some sponsors, the Bassett uh, team, 15, 18 races a year or this year, um, and they'll run on their own. Uh, 15, 18 races. It'll be tough to ask. 50 cars. Dale or Jeffrey Earnhardt uh, running for Sam Hunt Racing, limited schedule, uh, made a reference to the Peach Pit, which will be in the infield at Atlanta Motor Speedway. So... I was trying to remember the guy's name in uh, 90210 uh, who ran uh, the the peach pit. Um, seemed kind of corny. The joke was corny, but then it's also corny anyway. Yeah, the announcement about uh, Marcus Smith talking about North Wilkesboro. Got some uh, the crew chiefs have announced for uh, GMS for Grant Enfinger and Jack Wood, who's going to be running for Rookie of the Year. Charles Denicky, who was the crew chief for Tyler Ankrum uh, last year. Jack Wood uh, will have Tom Ackerman. And then, um, what's it called? Uh, Danny Bone will be running the Youngs number 20 at Daytona. Xfinity went over that. And then in the Cup Series, we talked about that. So, um, I mean, in IndyCar news, just want to go and uh, get over here quickly. Uh, Button or Hamilton will race in F1 in 2022. Yeah, I figure he will. I doubt he's going to go away uh, in the way it worked out anyway. Or at least I hope he will. Um, it was his birthday a few weeks ago there, Lewis Hamilton. Um, 
You know, her, you know, you're talking about news like Vince Granatelli uh, passed away a few days ago. Um, you're trying to talk about nothing, nothing new in the last week in regards to uh, Indy cars in Formula One. There will be no fans or TV coverage at the first preseason test in Barcelona. Um, there's uh, other than that, you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there really isn't anything more there. Um, no, that's interesting. Um, going into uh, IndyCar, I mean, we talked about the guys that are going to be running a Rolex there. Uh, but otherwise, nothing crazy going on in the IndyCar series. Pen right now. And run the GR, GR Grove Racing, Reynolds and Lee Holdsworth. Oh, okay. Reynolds and Lee Holdsworth will be teammates at Penrite Racing in the V8 Supercars. Okay. Um, trying to go and get into Loeb and Christina Goodyear. Yeah. So X44 will have the same combination of seven, uh, yeah, Sebastian Loeb, nine World Rally Championships, 80 wins. Uh, he finished second in the Dakar. And won his 80th race, which we will talk about here in a second, at uh, the Monte Carlo Rally in his first race for Ford. Um, yeah, they almost won the championship last year, the Lewis Hamilton uh, Extreme E team. So, so that'll be um, interesting. See if they can come back this year and win with um, Loeb and Christina Gutierrez. Um, trying to, yeah, the Formula E season opener. Uh, will take place this weekend at Daria in um, Saudi Arabia, which will be um, another year. There have been changes uh, going on in Formula E, of course, and uh, trying to go and make sure that uh, for teams that struggled last year, if they can come out and actually do well, that'd be good. Um, I have to bring up some. Uh, do you have... Uh, Anything in regards to any of the, you know, Formula One or Formula E, I mean, AlphaTauri and Alpine, there's going to be some, there's more uh, reveals, dates have been posted there, Josh. I mean, it looks like all of the, or most of the teams already now have some of their um, dates uh, announced of when they're going to reveal their 2022 car. We're going to see what their liveries look like as well. It uh, looks like, yeah, for uh, AlphaTauri, or sorry, for Alpine, they'll be revealing their car Monday, uh, February 21. Uh, AlphaTauri going to uh, re uh, release their car on Valentine's Day, February 14. Uh, Haas could possibly uh, release their car earlier than that, potentially. Uh, first live test from February 23 to 25. So looks like all the cars now are beginning to... Um, beginning to announce their uh, launch date so it should be exciting to see you know what these cars look like what their liveries are going to be um you know what are, what are their um differences going to be especially with this new car uh what are some of the design innovations if, if there are any uh that we could potentially see um you know and how are they going to de deviate i guess from the original i guess uh or you know formula uh, that they've been given and everything so that should all be pretty exciting to see uh, yeah that'll be something uh to look at as we um you know get into formula one of course um when will lewis uh decide what he's doing it's got 
uh, you know, like Ayrton Senna, Ayrton Senna, circa 1993 um, vibes going on, going on there. Um, but we will see uh, what goes on or how that goes. Um, the um, I want to get into the Formula E season preview. Uh, we have uh, 11 teams, 22 drivers. We have... Um, I'm trying to find yeah, teams and drivers. You can't get the full name, which is killing me. So, yeah. So, we'll get into just the drivers. Avalanche and Dreddy. Uh, they're the former BMW uh, team. And Avalanche is some sort of crypto thing. Uh, Jake Dennis and Oliver Askew will be the driver. So, an American driver will be on the grid uh, for the Andretti team. Uh, the two American teams, of course, uh, here with the Dragon, uh, Penske, and Evo, uh, Penske Autosport, which will have Sergio Sete Camara and Antonio Giovinazzi. DS Tachita will have two-time champion Jean-Eric Verne and uh, former champion Antonio Felix da Costa, former Andretti driver. Envision Racing will have Robin Frines and Nick Cassidy. I think they have an Audi. Uh, they were they had the Audi power unit. The Jaguar TCS uh, team will have Sam Bird and Mitch Evans. Mahindra Racing, uh, Oliver Rowland and Alexander Sims, both from England, uh, with the rumor that uh, they'll have a team and they'll have a race in India. So that'll be cool. Coming next year. Uh, Nick DeVries, defending Formula E world champion, and Stoffel Van Dorn, part of the Mercedes EQ team in their last year in Formula E. The Neo team still hasn't determined a driver, really? You got to be kidding that they don't have a driver or they don't have a picture. Oh, Dan T Dick Tantrum. Okay. Dick Tantrum and Oliver Turvey uh, will be in that team. And then the Nissan Edams. Outfit with uh, Sebastian Buemi, former champion, and Maximilian Gunther. The Rocket Venturi team, which is um, Susie Wolf's effort with Luca Tegrassi, former champion, and Eduardo Matara, who had a chance at the championship last year. Uh, Tag Heuer Porsche Formula E team will have uh, Andre Lauderer and Pascal Verline um, in the um, cars there. Uh, the Nissan team with 17 wins. Well, DS to Cheetah 14 and Envision 11. So we'll see what happens in that. They'll be racing twice. They'll be racing on Friday and Saturday night under the lights in uh, Saudi to go and decide who will win the first race of the Formula E World Championship in 2022. Uh, AMA Supercross, just as a get an update uh, chase sexton rookie for honda wins uh his maiden supercross race uh in san diego petco park third different winner monster energy star racing yamaha's eli tomac second and took the points lead and dylan ferrandis uh finished third to give yamaha uh two three a double podium there so that's um 
You know, Sexton, Eli Tomac, Dylan Fernandez, Cooper Webb, defending champion, Malcolm Stewart on the Husky, Aaron Plessinger, Ken Roxon, Jason Anderson, who had won A2, Justin Barsha, and Marvin Muskan, your top 10. Uh, Tomac has a one-point lead on Sexton and Webb, three points on Barsha, five points on Jason Anderson, Plessinger. You, know, you have uh, less than 10 points at seven points from first eighth. And then in the West region, 250, Michael Moiseman won on a gas gas over Hunter Lawrence on a Honda and Christian Craig on a Yamaha. Craig leads Lawrence by six points and Moiseman by 11 going in the next round of the series this week for Anaheim 3. Uh, WRC, as I mentioned uh, earlier, Sebastian Loeb won his 80th World Rally, uh, another uh, another Monte Carlo Rally win, which is crazy considering he hasn't been, he's not a full-time driver anymore. And he went and went and got the W there at Monte Carlo, which is one of his, you know, premier famous uh, best races that he he does, um, which is just amazing to me. Um, Sebastian Loeb ended up uh, getting the win in um, in the overall uh, rally too. Yeah, so Sebastian Loeb beat Sebastian Ogier. So the battle of Sebastian's former teammates at Citroen. Uh, Ogier is not going to run a full season either. Uh, running for Toyota, uh, finished ten and a half seconds behind. Craig Breen finished third for Ford. Callie Rovenpera for Toyota finished fourth. And Gus Greensmith for Ford finished fifth. The best Hyundai was Thierry Neuville in sixth. And amongst, um, yeah, there was like eight eight drivers that um, actually made it there in the uh, finish. A lot of... Uh, Stuff to endure on Rally Monte Carlo to pavement rally. Um, so that'll be something next race will be in a month's time at Rally Sweden. So that will um, dictate how things go. Uh, then they'll have an, a longer break, a couple month break to Croatia, which will be a uh, full pavement rally. Uh, they, the Rally Monte Carlo, they say, is mixed. Uh, then you have a bunch of races on gravel, uh, Portugal, Sardinia, Kenya, Estonia, Finland. And then they have an open gap uh, round nine, which is supposed to be a tarmac rally. Uh, Greece, the Acropolis rally, New Zealand, uh, the Catalonia rally, which will be uh, pavement. And then the rally Japan to end the season. All right. So going kind of switch gears here or kind of round things up here uh tonight on the gsp pba players championship uh took place they had a lot of uh, they had the four uh or the five yeah, the regional finals amongst the five uh regions there uh, we had um in the east region saw graham fa beat uh, patrick dombrowski who ran the ladder from fifth beat uh, defending player of the year Kyle Troop and uh, Hall of Famer Bill O'Neill and Brandon Runk to get to the final, but Graham Faw wins uh, the region playing with Urethane uh, on the left side. 
in a battle of Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer in the, in the South region. Tommy Jones defeated Norm Duke, the ageless Norm Duke, after Duke got DJ Archer. In the semifinal match, David Stouffer and Toby Sambueno uh, finished fifth. So those two guys will make it into the uh, final itself. Midwest region saw Sean Rash defeat Matt Russo. And A.J. Johnson, E.J. Tackett, Bailey Maverick. And so A.J. Johnson, who's been one of the unluckiest guys on TV. E.J. Tackett, who is a former player of the year, has won majors, done everything, uh, finished fourth. You have the likes of uh, Tom Smallwood, Mitch Upe, Chris Prather, um, et cetera, et cetera. Some decent names there. Um, I have to go and switch over to the Southwest region. And Arturo Quintero beat uh, Dom Barrett, who, um, after Quintero beat Kyle Sherman, who was trying to run the ladder after beating Brad, Brad and Kyle YouTube channel. Um, Kyle beat Brad, then he beat Frankie Lavoie, lost to Dom Barrett, and uh, who lost to Arturo Quintero. So he was the first non-number one seed to advance. And the West Region Finals saw... Uh, Jason Belmonte climb the ladder from the uh, fourth position, beat Tyler Cortez Shank, Wesley Lowe, um, Jake Peters, and Jacob Buttruff to get the W um, after a long um, absence. So I would venture to say that Belmo is, uh, um, depending on what happens, I think the best matchup would be uh, having Belmo versus Rash because they hate each other. But in general, I just want to see Belmo make it. Other people hate him, but I don't care. I like him. So um, Fa and Quintero are definitely underdogs. Is that uh, Rash has been playing better, and Tommy Jones is playing at a great level. So whoever wins this major uh, this sun Saturday will uh, have earned it for sure. Uh, Josh, uh, what have you been doing on iRacing or The Sims in general? Any updates, anything you want to let us know about in your segment? Yeah, of course. And uh, last, you know, last weekend did some streaming. Uh, yeah, I streamed one race at Michigan uh, in the 87 car. You know, it's always fun, Michigan, especially with the way that the tire works there, the tire wear. And uh, ended up finishing 10th. I think I uh, ended up using up my tires too quickly and didn't really have enough uh, to keep up with the leaders at the end uh, there, but there was a mid uh, point in the race where uh, we were all kind of grouped together in a little pack um, and everything, but then one of the guys spun out and uh, then uh, ended up putting us good for fuel, but then took tires and then ended up going green the rest of the way, but just couldn't hold on to it there. But big news in iRacing this week is uh, the LA Coliseum being released uh, for the uh, iRacing uh, platform, of course, and uh, they're going to have the clash here in a few weeks, uh, about a week from Saturday, a week from Sunday. So uh, it's going to be an exciting event, of course. And uh, you can do the clash now virtually with the next gen car and try and race uh, for it yourself and see how that uh, plays out, how it drives and everything. So I uh, haven't tried it out yet. Uh, maybe later uh, this weekend or something, I'll uh, get a chance to uh, get some time and uh, race on that and see if there are any official races on, on that that I can uh, go on and maybe stream those races. So uh, should be interesting. Um, 
you know, we'll see what happens and uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it drives good on the short track, especially a track like that. And, um, you know, we get some exciting action going on in the stream. We'll definitely go and check in on that. Josh, um, great driver. I've said it multiple times. I mean, I watched your stream a few times and you are cool, calm, collected, very calculated and uh, very, um, you know, Rick Mears, David Pearson, Kenseth-like in your methodology. Um, even if you have fry out moments, you're still able to keep it in check. Um, something that I'm not capable of. And even after reading my horoscope and what I am or how I am like for the year or just in general for this day. Um, it kind of makes sense. Um, I'll go back to you here. Um, where can we find you on social media and where can we follow you in regards to your uh, sim racing game there, Josh? Yeah, of course, as always the Twitch stream for iRacing uh, is at uh, Twitch TV slash UCLR2. That's, you know, Y-O-U-S-A-S-A-I-L-O-R-2. And it's a weird name, but that's my PlayStation name from back in the day and everything. And then, of course, um, as always, the Twitter at JP Huffine uh, posts, uh, you know, all the Jaguars, uh, repost all the Jaguars' latest news on Fire and Left its coaching church, uh, stuff on the 24 this weekend, watching that. Uh, and, you know, all the other stuff, probably even some uh, investing stuff if you want to get in on how to learn how to invest and trade on the market. Uh, there's some good resources there too that I sometimes share. So uh, that's uh, all for me. But yeah, as always, follow me on those two platforms. And definitely follow Josh. Good takes, good. Um, he's, uh, there's a reason why, there's many reasons why he's my uh, co-host, my sidekick. Um, very reliable and uh, very sensible, a very responsible for a young man, uh, something that I definitely am not at uh, age 37. Um, but in certain areas, to be fair, to be fair, um, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can follow our show at Gripstrip Pod. We're on uh, Podbean, uh, Pandora, Basically, anywhere you can find a podcast, you can find the Grip Strip Podcast. Um, yeah, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can find us there. You can find us on philipgmatthew.com. Um, and uh, sometimes the show ends up on YouTube, actually. Doesn't get on my Facebook. I don't know how. I've tried to mess with it, but it still doesn't. But I don't know. So. If you really want to listen to Gripshire Podcast, you can listen to Gripshire Podcast. Uh, we thank you for uh, listening to this episode of the Gripshire Podcast. We'll be back next week talk about uh, early preview of Super Bowl, Rolex 24, uh, Bush Clash, uh, et cetera, et cetera. At least stuff to talk about. Uh, Gambler's Classic in Atlantic City is taking place this weekend, um, weather permitting, I guess, because of the snowstorm. But... Uh, I mean, it's an indoor race, but people get there. Uh, we'll talk about whatever else is going on in the world of motorsports and sports. Give you some updates on the head coaching searches and GM searches in the NFL. Uh, here next week on the Griffith Podcast. Um, for Josh, I'm Phil. Thank you once again for listening, and goodbye.